It's a Wednesday, so time for White Coat Wednesday with medical correspondent Dr. Mitch Shulman. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning to you. Now, I never asked you, but I'm presuming your medical degree came from McGill University. Maybe it's otherwise. And there's some great medical inventiveness uh, news out of McGill University. Yeah, which may give them a, a huge amount of money if it works. Um, this is a, an, a new form of technology which will enable us to use a small sample of saliva, a small sample of spit, to diagnose things like COVID-19, flu, all the respiratory infections that are such a problem, and maybe even some of the bacterial infections, uh, sort of the pneumonias, the uh, pharyngitis or the strep sore throats. And what it does is it uses a brand new form of nanotechnology. You're going to hear this is the big buzzword now, but they're able to miniaturize things and get things to work in a very small and contained fashion. So a small sample of spit put into one end of the machine into the special receptacle. And then within 13 minutes, that's the other revolution because they're using such small amounts of uh, sampling substances. It takes much less time to do all of the reactions that need to be done. And they were able to accelerate the process of reaching out, picking up the RNA or the DNA, the genetic material that's in the virus or the bacteria, amplifying it, and then using a color change and a very sensitive form of machinery to detect that color change. And unfortunately, artificial intelligence to learn what the different color changes mean uh, to detect things like flu and COVID-19. So the big advantages here, small, very portable, the size of a laptop, laptop, battery driven, and much more rapid. And the techniques that we've been using throughout the entire uh, period of COVID-19 and actually even before then is PCR. And what basically happens is you need a more significant sample, although still a small amount, but you need to prepare it very specifically. And then you have to amplify the genetic material 30, 40, 50 times before you can actually run the analysis. And that's why running a PCR usually takes at least an hour or two. So much more portable, less material, less bothersome to you. I guess if you're just taking a bit of saliva or spit, it's a lot less bothersome than some of the other ways of getting a sample. And you get the result a lot faster. Now, still in the experimental phase, you know, so before you decide to buy stocks in the company, you may want to wait until they've actually taken it out, uh, dropped the, uh, the machine a few times, uh, put it in the hands of children or whoever else is actually going to try and break it and then see how well it actually works in the real world. But extremely, extremely, extremely uh, uh, potentially phenomenal, a huge, a quantum leap in our ability to be able to detect these diseases. And don't forget, the faster you detect them, then you can isolate people or treat them. And so it just ramps up the whole way of being able to deal with these things. Okay, let's move on to alcohol and health. And it seems every couple of weeks we get a new study and some studies say zero alcohol, others say it's good for your heart. Now there's one that says calming the brain is actually good for the heart. So should we drink or not? Uh, really? <laughs> um, the, the problem is, what is it? There's no such thing as a free lunch. So yeah, it calms your brain and they are actually able to show that it reduced the amount of stress by reducing the amount of stress. It probably has a beneficial effect on your blood pressure and on your heart. No ifs, ands, or buts. But at the cost of a tremendously increased risk of, and you go through all the complications, including cancer. So this is really not the best way of dealing with the stresses of day-to-day life life or business and meditation or exercise might be a better way 
way of doing it than this. But yes, um, we know, good grief, we know this. People drink for all sorts of reasons, but one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why people drink is, one, it's a social thing to do, and you're doing it with your friends usually, but even if you're not, the it, the buzz, whatever you want to use the terminology, the non-scientific terminology for it is, it does calm you down, and um, for most people, in small amounts, and doesn't get you into trouble in most people in small amounts, and we're talking about the type of trouble you can get into if you drink too much. Um, but it definitely increases the risk of cancer. It definitely increases the risk of accidents and other things that are not good for you. And so if you balance out the potential quote-unquote benefit against the definite harm, I still think it comes out on the bad side of that equation. Okay, noted. Uh, so what a surprise. Pizza and kegger parties are probably not good for your health. Really? This is a massive study looking at something, I think, 31 medical schools in China. And they basically asked them what they were eating and then asked them about what their mental health was like and what their physical health was like and if they'd had any chronic disease problems in the last few months. And gee, lo and behold, I think that even if they had not eaten the pizza, if you questioned these medical students in this way, you'd find that they had a lot of mental and other issues going on. And I think it's just a function of being um, a student under a lot of pressure, especially in China. One of the things that they did ask them about was the pressures they felt to do well at school and in their grades. And the kids who suffered the most in terms of chronic diseases, they usually asked them if they'd had illnesses uh, repetitively, uh, like diarrhea and things like that over the last two to three months. The kids that had the li biggest likelihood of having these chronic problems were the kids who were pushing themselves the hardest to do well at school. So you have to ask yourself, yeah, was it entirely the food or was it maybe the pressure that these kids are under? Having said that, uh, you know, really, um, you know that if you don't eat properly, you're going to get into trouble. And you know that if you develop bad eating habits and you continue them after you finish school and all that, you're not going to do well. I don't think the occasional pizza or the occasional um, um, is going to really get you into a lot of trouble. But yes, you're right. According to this study, it is correlated with those things. All right. And Australia is often the canary in the coal mine when it comes to what we're going to be looking at next winter in terms of the flu and apparently things are not going well right now in Australia? Yeah, see, what, what people may not realize is the flu tends to be, you know, it's been, the, the timing has been off and the types of flu and the extent of the flu season has been off for the last couple of years because of all the precautions and the changes in our interactions with people because of COVID and protecting ourselves against the spread of that disease. So the actual season has been off by a bit, the actual spread has been off by a bit. But typically what they, what the experts do is they look at the Southern Hemisphere, which is having its winter now. And flu is usually a winter illness. And so they look at what's going on there and they say, you know what, given what's going on in, and pick your southern country, often Australia, because it parallels us very well, you can sort of get an idea of which viruses are circulating, which variants of the flu virus are, vac are, are circulating, and therefore use that as a prediction not only of what you should be protecting people with in a newly made flu vaccine for our flu season, but also how bad it's going to be. 
And the big message this year and last year is the flu seems to be hitting very hard at young kids uh, who haven't had the opportunity to develop some degree of exposure over the years because of COVID and all the uh, being closed in and all that. And so it's entirely possible that we will have another difficult flu season. We're going to have to wait and see how things evolve in Australia and the Southern Hemisphere to know better. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Pleasure. Have a great day. That is our always affable medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Schulman.